Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech and Operations. You've got uh, Spencer, Clint, and Kelly here. Um, they are brothers, if you can't recognize that. Uh, they both have glasses. They both work in oil and gas. They both have gray hair because they've operated a lot of wells. So, uh, yes, um, we're here to talk about... Uh, I thought it was gasoline. because we were brothers. Ah, that's why, the, that's the, why the, we have gray, gray hair. hair. We're brothers. Yeah. We gave each other gray hair. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, so we're here to talk about gas lift. And then um, not just gas lift alone, but plunger-assisted gas lift and, and gas-assisted plunger lift. And what is the difference between those? So, um, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of uh, questions out there in the industry around um, how to do this type of artificial lift best. And I think there's a lot of unanswered questions. And that's why we've kind of brought two industry experts together to, to talk about this and and um, to really get some content out there and see if anyone has any questions. And uh, let's just see where this combo goes on um, Gapple, Paggle, and Gas Lift. But um, I think for uh, any new listeners, uh, you've obviously heard Clint in the past dominate some plunger lift conversations. Uh, Kelly. You tell us about yourself uh, really quickly about who you are, what do you do, and uh, why are you an industry expert in artificial lift? Talk to us. Well, I, uh, uh, you know, I took a, like I say, Clint uh, uh, and I are both brothers and we've worked in this industry for many years. I took a slightly different career path than uh, Clint's. I spent uh, quite a few years working for uh, major producers. Uh, and my role there was uh, an optimization role. It's actually the, the primary roles I've had at, uh, at the major producers. Uh, most of my experience uh, prior to the, I guess, the shale revolution, we could call it, was in uh, more marginal uh, uh, oil and uh, gas production in uh, southern Alberta. Uh, and then uh, when I left the major producers, uh, I moved into working in the, uh, in the Duvernay and the Montney Shale uh, exclusively. So main background was, uh, was rod pump and uh, plunger lift. Uh, I did do uh, quite a bit of defect uh, elimination and, and downhole failure elimination. And uh, then I moved into uh, working with the shales, which is where I got heavily into uh, the gas lift and, uh, and the gapple as a result. Awesome. Yeah, so you've had your hands on a few wells, have you? I have. <laughs> Good. Uh, as I've learned myself in oil and gas, the best way to learn is by failure and by exposure. So uh, anytime you start touching gas lift, plunger lift, rod pump, you learn very quickly what not to do. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're here to kind of share some of those lessons, what we've seen and, and uh, what is working. So why don't we start with, um, I think, gas lift and then we work ourselves over to gapple paggle. But I think my first prodding question for the two of you because we have quite a few customers that are um gas lift and paggle heavy uh when someone says like hey look how's gas lift performing and it's like i'm injecting that i'm doing what i can i don't know what else to tell you why is it that people believe if they're injecting they're optimized they're injecting 400 mcf things are good talk to us about gas lift and just the injection philosophy of like just because i'm injecting doesn't mean you're optimized right no so i mean one of the one of the benefits of gas lift is it's a uh, it's a forgiving artificial lift system uh it will it will run 
uh, successfully, I mean, or the wells will continue to lift and, and uh, produce in less than optimal conditions or very inefficient conditions. So what's an advantage in that gas lift has a, uh, a very wide uh, range in which it will, will operate. Uh, it will mask those inefficiencies or it'll mask um, those problems because it is forgiving. So it's an advantage in that it is forgiving, but unfortunately, like with a rod pump, um, if you have a pump failure, you just simply quit producing. If you have a rod part, there's nothing there. You can have gas lift that's running, uh, you know, significantly below uh, its optimal uh, performance, whether that's the injection depth, whether you have a failure or or even uh, on optimal injection rates, uh, you know, and it, yet it will still, it, it, will, it will still produce. So the well doesn't fall right off the map and it doesn't necessarily right. get a lot of attention because of that. Wells that go down 100% gain to get attention very quickly. I love that point. It's like with plunge lift, you see the plunger not arriving. With rod pump, you got no fluid coming to surface or like your pumps shut down. With gas lift, it's kind of hidden, right? Like it's like, mm-hmm. are we doing what we can and is this all it can do? Um, I think it's really good, Kelly. Like it's kind of hidden. There. And I also think sometimes with the gas lift, changes happen much slower. Like you say, a rod pumps usually right away or fairly quick, plunger lifts right away. But with gas lifts, sometimes you can see a failure or, uh, you know, you could see a, a situation where as your levels go down, you go past a valve that's actually failed. So it was working really well. And then it kind of works through a bad valve because you start injecting there, but it doesn't stop injecting there. So then then it, it, it kind of dis- the, the, the failure gets masked over time. So people don't realize it, even though it's declining much quicker, you know, if you look at over the life. So there's lots of things like that that'll happen with gas lift that get missed just because it's not so fast. And and I've, I've said this with plunger lift, I've said everything, you know, operators are trained to look at the last seven days, you know, yes, field foreman look at the last 30 days and engineers probably look at, you know, uh, you know maybe a, a quarter or something is where they really focus. And if, if, if stuff spreads over past that time, a lot of time these slow changes just get missed or, or they just get accepted they become the new norm mm-hmm. so yeah so yeah and is so, um you know you've got two really key indicators that you can trend on on SCADA you know your gas injection rate and your gas injection pressure talk to me about how you know injection pressure we'll start with there and eventually we'll move our way to gas rate um is injection pressure a good indicator of of certain problems um on the well is injection pressure a good indication of injection depth uh how can you use this type of data for optimization and and troubleshooting so injection pressure um you know is obviously is an 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 indicator of uh what you know where it is injecting uh but the injection pressure, when you're comparing it back to the original design, I mean, of course, it's assuming your conditions are very similar to the original design. Sure. Uh, it's assuming you have no mechanical issues. So, you know, you can have a, uh, you know, a valve that's, uh, that's failed or a valve that's washed or leaking or multiple valves that are leaking. Um, and, uh, you know, you look at the injection pressure and you assume, you assume you're at a certain well 
or a certain valve depth. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and the reality is, is you're not there. And where we really see it is uh, when we see a valve that's failed and people look at that injection pressure and they make an assumption they're at the orifice because literally they look at the design or their SCADA um, and it, it indicates that all the valves are closed and we must be at the orifice and the well's still producing. And, you know, we go in there and we, uh, you know, we do tests, whatever, whatever the test may be, a well tracer CO2 test or a, a flowing gradient. Uh, or another uh, real key indicator is, is even some predictive modeling. Uh, and you go in and, and you see that and you say, well, there's absolutely no way we can be at the depth based on that uh, production pressure model or off that gradient or whatever the uh, case may be. And the other thing we want to look for in that, it's not just pressure, it's, uh, it's throughput, it's mass balancing that system. Sure. If we, if we take a well and we have a design and we're injecting at X amount of gas, uh, when we, we model that out, uh, you know, we, we can get a predictive throughput. I mean, depending on what model you're using on your, on your valves, whether it's a VCP, uh, a model or, or Winkler Eads or whichever the case may be, um, you know, you get predicted throughputs and if the amount of gas you're, you should be putting through at that pressure, if it's tremendously different, uh, you have much more throughput, it's probably a good indication that, uh, you're not putting the gas where you think, or if you have much higher uh, discharge pressure uh, or injection pressure, it uh, again, it may be indicating to you that what's going on down hole is not um, what you think. You, you may have valve plugging yeah. or, or valve washing or uh, uh, other conditions. And I, I see this when I'm talking to a lot of people, they'll just say to me, oh, well, our injection pressure is at you know, 900 PSI. Sure. And according to our design, it's it's at bottom. And and like Kelly was saying, I mean, if you you ask them, well, how much are you pushing through there? Well, we're pushing 750 MCF at 900 psi. And and if you if you were to 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 look at the capacity, and basically what it's going to probably tell you is that you know we're not injecting at the bottom, we're injecting at valve four because we got a large pressure drop across. It's the only way we can get that kind of volume through a, that size of valve is what basically Kelly is trying to say. So. If you just use pressure mm -hmm. to identify where you believe it is, it, it, it really is not enough of the equation to tell you anything. So, so how do you know if based on, so I think we, we skipped over a little bit of fundamentals. If, if no one was listening here, um, you have these five or six uh, valves, uh, it could be more in, a, in your tubing. Um, you're injecting down the casing and each of these valves, valves have a certain opening pressure. Um, and what that's doing is allowing you to kind of unload the top valve and then unload the second valve and unload the third valve. And you're kind of mm -hmm. working your way down to the bottom. The reason you want to get down to the bottom is you're able to lighten the liquid load lower, you know, by the formation, which is going to make that column, you know, up your entire tubing quite light, making your lift, you know, much more efficient. So I just want to start, you know, bring that into the equation. But I think for, for you two, um, you're telling me I need two things to look at gas rate and my injection pressure and injection pressure alone is not a good enough indicator of, am I lifting at the valve that said, if I'm injecting 900 PSI and my opening pressure for my bottom valve is 900 PSI, that does not mean I'm lifting there. Tell me more about that. How do I troubleshoot that stuff? I have no idea how to figure out if I'm actually injecting where I think I am from pressures, right? How do I troubleshoot that? 
So there's, you know, different, different steps you can do. Um, I mean, right from, from field data that you can gather, uh, a good indicator, uh, you know, you believe you're at the orifice, get a, get a fluid level on the sure. backside, a simple sure. acoustic well sounding. Make sure you've unloaded that casing down to the injection depth you, you believe you're at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if your fluid level, assuming you have a packer, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll assume we have a packer in the completion uh, as a large percentage of the gas lift wells do. Uh, you know, if your fluid level is is obviously up above uh, an orifice or up above the depth you believe you're injecting at, well, you're not there. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, you know, a next step on a diagnostic. If you believe you have a washed valve or a hole in the tubing, you could do a dual uh, dual trace or dual microphone uh, echometer right. shot where right. you send a pressure wave through the tubing or through the casing and listen on the other side to see if there's a point of communication. Uh, a next step maybe, or another step that's uh, more from the office-based is, is predictive modeling. You can use, uh, you know, uh, software, uh, various different software, WinGlue or Snap or, or whatever you have access to. Or, Snap or, is uh, the, the modeling company. I, I used to use. Uh, I've been around yeah. forever, but man, as a, a consistently yeah. reliable program. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great, great software. I use WinGlue. It's what okay. I'm familiar with, but uh, there's it's certainly not the only one on the market. There's lots of great software. And uh, when you model out your rates and your, uh, you know, you can, your, your, your tubing gradient or your production gradient or production pressure model uh, is, is typically how I refer to them, but there's multiple different names to call it. Uh, you know, at, at your injection pressure model and your production pressure model are going to intersect at a depth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this, you know, and if that depth where they intersect is significantly different from where you expect, that's a pretty good indication there's a problem. Um, I mean, modeling will get you there. Modeling might give you an answer 50% of the time, and that's just being very general. Uh, but it, it is a good first step. You know, like I say, gather some basic field data, verify your measurement. It's the very first thing. Anything, the very first thing you do, if you think you have an issue, verify your measurement. That's before you try to do anything else or, uh, you know, so you have your, your operation staff. Your Calibrate your pressure sensors. Yes. Yeah. Make sure that you are actually chasing a real problem. <laughs> so verify your measurement. I've seen that. Uh, then, yeah. Yeah, we see that lots. I mean, quite often. Yeah. You know, where you go there, and, and there's uh, everybody's telling you it's one thing, and uh, you get out there, and it's it's just not. It's it's not yeah. doing what they think it is, and it's it's metering or uh, issues or. or steel hydrates or something, you know, something like that. So basic operational, uh, you know, basic operational thing, uh, uh, or really anytime, anytime you're working on a problem is you have to make sure your measurement's right or you have nowhere to start. So verify your measurement, then some basic field data, uh, uh, echometer shot or uh, AWS. Uh, if that doesn't give you the answers you look for, you may then look at some modeling, whether it be in-house or, or through a service company you work with. Um, some basic troubleshooting. Uh, and then, you know, if those aren't giving you the answers, you may look to, you know, doing a flowing gradient mm-hmm. on that well or something like the well tracer CO2 tests that we do. Tell me about um, that, because that's and, something that, that Clinton has mentioned to me in the past. Clint, if you want to jump in on that one, it's like, you know, there's there's ways to troubleshoot gas lift valve issues, which we've talked about, which was the echometer um, dual shot, right? Um, you've got the echometer down your casing and figuring out, well, where's that liquid level? What orifice are we truly injecting at? What's this well tracer? Because I don't know if the audience really knows what that is. 
Well, so, so well tracer uses basically CO2. And what we do is we inject a uh, basically a 25 pound uh, slug of liquid, liquefied CO2 into your injection stream. Okay. Now, as that slug of CO2 is pushed by your injection gas, anytime it goes by any point in the tubing or the return side where it can enter, like through a hole, through a valve or whatever, it'll shoot a little bit of that CO2 across there. Well, we're monitoring on the return or on the, on the production side, we get a baseline of CO2. Mm -hmm. So every time this, as this slug is moving down and we get a little shot that comes across, well, we'll see spikes of CO2 levels jump at surface. Now, because we know what the injection rate is, we know what the return rate is, and, and through our software, we can calculate exactly at what depth that, that return came back at. So we can say, okay, well, we got a return at 1,700 feet. Well, there's no valves there. So that's probably a hole. Mm -hmm. um, or we can say, well, it's you know 1,850 feet, and, and there's a valve at seven, or 1,875. Well, it's probably going through the valve. Then the question is, well, is it supposed to be? You know, you should because according to our model. So when we, we basically have to get the well and Kelly and Jeff and our team, whoever's working on that well, they build a they build the model of that well with the information we have on the gas and uh, lift design and all of the production data. So from that model, we know where we should be injecting, how much should be injecting, you know, and then when you inject the CO two, it's basically confirming that if you're getting returns where your model says it, you know, it's, it's shouldn't right. be then there's something wrong or you're not getting injections i mean we'll see that too where you know we're scaled off or the the valve won't open or or you know so so there, there can be such a wide range of results i i did a presentation at the last this last alrdc talking about this one gapple well where we were using well tracer for uh prior to installing gapple to ensure that the tubing and the valves and everything were in the condition and when you look at the pressures, coming back to your conversation about mm -hmm. pressures, it really did show that this well uh, should be injecting at the orifice. It was a little bit wonky, a little bit off, but really, you just look at the person, oh, yeah, we're at the orifice. But when we were done doing the test, what we found was you know, like valve four, which was almost 4,000 feet above the orifice, was had a significant leak. And then we got down to seven uh, eight and nine, and we were getting some throughput. And we got down to 10, uh, valve 10, there was no throughput, and the orifice, there was no throughput. But based on the production and the pressures, we should have been going through that orifice sure. in valve 10. And what happened is 10 and the orifice were plugged off scale, whatever it was that was in there. Um, eight, uh, seven, uh, nine, eight, and seven were probably, there might have been damage, but they're kind of in that transitional, so you don't know if they should have been really open are really closed um so they were flowing but it, it so you don't you can't say oh there's a problem with them or not but definitely there's a problem with four but it, but if they would have just gone out there and and dropped that plunger in there they never would have made this right. well work and then they would have been frustrated and and we see this all the time they would have pulled the plunger stop up and down and messed around with it or they would have gone in there and tried to crank a whole bunch more gas down there and in this particular scenario, it would have made no difference. Just push more gas around above the plunger, probably really not, and probably would have made it worse even. And uh, the, the kind of the final thing, which I guess I'm jumping oh, please, around a bit, please. but the final, the final thing on that is when we actually looked at it and you, and you look and model the well and you say, hey, you know what, if we fix this well, we did all this work, 
and we got that injection down to the orifice where it's supposed to be, their, their oper- one of their opportunities beyond using a plunger was they were going to reduce their injection volume by 620 mc of the day. So when we look at that and you say, well, you know, that, there's a real cost there. And you're going to pr- you should be able to produce as much, if not more. They would have produced more because they would have got the gas and everything where it needed to go. And they would have taken all that cost out of it. And they could have redistributed that gas to a new well or a place where they're going to get more bang for their buck. Yeah. But, but that's really the advantage of understanding how your 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 system is working. There's there's several advantages. One, getting the plunger to run properly. Uh, two, the the big reduction in um, uh, cost of, or, or expense, and uh, redistributing the, uh, the the energy, the gas that you have, to, and and you know saves you on putting in more compressors and reduces your you know, so anyways, there's a whole bunch of advantages, but that's that's what the CO2 does. Now, we also do it just strictly for uh, gas lift, basically looking for the same problems. How are the valves working? What is, you know, what is their throughput? Um, it, it's just, it's really neat when we get all that information back and you do the, you, you finish the, the, the uh, evaluation and, and these guys can tell you exactly what, you know, basically how much percentage of gas is going through every valve. And it really can change your understanding of what what's going on down hole. I mean, what you see at surface is telling you, or you think you're seeing one thing, but when you look down hole and you realize, man, I'm multi-pointing through six valves, and you know, two of them are seventy percent of the gas, and I've got gas, you know, going to all. You know, why is it doing that? Should it be doing that? Do we need to make a change or a correction? And what are the upsides? So, anyways, so that's 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 one of the advantages of the CO two. I mean, the, the 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 fluid shot or the multi shot is an excellent tool for identifying a through path. The the CO two tra- tracer gives you a lot of operational information that you can then say, hey, this is what this well is looking like. What can you do to improve it or or you know, and it is as as small a change as just increasing or decreasing injection rate. It'll tell us enough information so you can give a, an operator a really good mm-hmm. uh, suggestions on things like that. Is there something? Yeah. One of the, one of the things, sorry, with one of the things with the CO2 is uh, when we see the, when we, when we take the returns and we calculate that out, we can actually turn it to a port equivalency. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we're, if we're, uh, you know, injecting through a 1664th or quarter inch port uh, under those conditions, we'll have a, a calculated throughput. And like I said, there's there's various different uh, correlations, but we'll keep it pretty simple. Something like Thornhill Craver on sure. an orifice, and uh, um, you know if that calculated throughput is X amount, and we we do that CO two test, and we see we're you know significantly different, we we work back a calculated uh, port equivalency. So if we were expecting a twelve sixty fourths, and we see that you know this is more like a ten sixty fourths, it can indicate that we have plugging coming. Uh, and you can preemptively, it may be a small uh, acid treatment or maybe a slick line job or whatever it may be. Uh, or if we see it, you know, conversely going the other way, where we see we'd expect a 1664th and we see a 2464th, or 3264th, that indicates we've got a pretty serious uh, size port there, uh, which is washing or a hole in the tubing or something like that. So it does allow us to quantify not just where it's going, but how much is going through. And that can give us some pretty good insight into valve condition or overall uh, condition. Yeah. So, is Kaizen the only uh, 
person offering or the, the company offering the, the CO2 kind of uh, diagnostics? Is that something that's, that's, that's y'all's? Yeah. In, in Canada and the USA, uh, it, is, it is offered by the uh, parent company uh, of, uh, of Welltracer uh, in, in other markets. But in Canada and the United States, uh, okay. we are. Um, one thing that I think would be interesting to hear for the audience is like for people who are taking over new wells, they're the engineers and they're looking at their performance of their wells. What are the steps I can follow to make sure and do some modeling to make sure that what we're doing on our gas up injection is appropriate? The things that come to mind is like one, run a snap model. And, and the, the program you mentioned there, Kelly, was Wingool. Wing glue. It's a, uh, it's yeah. Windows gas lift user yeah. environment is actually the, the, the naming. Right. So you yeah. run some sort of model on that, and then maybe you find some anomalies of like this looks to be multi-pointing. This looks to be, um, you know, not injecting at the the lowest depth, and then you're going to be looking at like, well, how do I get it to the lowest depth, or how do I get it not multi-pointing, or this valve looks, um, it just doesn't look right. Uh, what other steps would you advise those engineers that are kind of taking over gas up wells? I've got a couple of customers that specifically would be interested in that. The steps to take to make sure that they are optimized. Is it start with models and then move to the echometer shops and then move to the uh, well tracer? Or what does that look like? Well, well, I mean, I guess from a whole big process, I mean, that's actually a fairly complex process and I'll, and I'll tell you there's some there's some uh industry experts that have published a lot of information bernie warring is yeah. is uh one gentleman who's who's uh you know i mean uh, optimization surveillance is uh or gasless surveillance for production surveillance is really his uh, specialty he's an expert so there's some very good literature and uh and books uh available out there and and i guess i would really recommend starting with some of those and, guys and because the name, they, they they wrote the book Bernie Waring, uh, Waring. Um, that, like, like I say, there's, 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 you know, the, the, you know, we're, you know, to be honest, I mean, we're for a lot of us in the industry now, we're, we're standing on the shoulders of the, you know, they are the, they were the giants yeah. of gas lift. They, they were, they wrote the book on it when it was slide rules and, and graph paper, and uh, they didn't have the the tools sure. that we have available, and the, we have those tools available because those are the guys that yeah. developed them. Um, so, so I mean, I would, uh, recommend, uh, going out there, some, some excellent, uh, books that, he, that you know, there's, you know, Jim Hall, Bernie, uh, and I could certainly after, uh, afterwards when we're offline, I could give you a list of, uh, I think some people that are amazing, the amount of knowledge they have, but that's, you know, there, there, there so there is very good resources out there, uh, you know, but you have to have a system and you have to stay to that system. So you may review wells and you may have a, a metric that you look at and that metric may be um, uh, very high TGLR, total yeah. uh, uh, gas liquid ratio. So you may find you have a well that you have wells that are, you know, they're outside of the norm for your field. And and the one thing I will say, particularly with the shales, is don't get locked in too hard on the old rules of thumb from vertical uh uh, it's just like plunger lift. You know, we learned that uh, these horizontals and, and these uh, unconventional completions are not, they're not, uh, the rules of thumbs are are not necessarily as meaningful as they once were. So 
understand your field and look for the outliers in your field. And there's various different metrics you can pick. Uh, it may, like I say, it may be your your uh, uh, total gas liquid ratio. Uh, it may be injection pressures. Yeah, you may you may set a few criteria, and you need to review those wells, and and you know start at the uh, you know whatever metric is uh, is most suitable for your field. Start there and work through those. And when you've when you've identified problems and you've and you solve problems, you don't quit. You you repeat those. Uh, reviews and it needs to be just uh, a part of surveillance. You have to have a, a surveillance methodology. Um, you know, I could talk endlessly about various different ones, but the re the reality is, is there going to be what makes sense for your field? And there is a uh, you know, there's a vast amount of information on how to develop a good sure. surveillance uh, uh, program. Um, develop a, develop a surveillance program, and in that surveillance program, you know, identify your your opportunities. Identify the uh, uh, the changes that need to be made or the uh, the corrections that need to be made, whether it's an intervention or whether it's an operational change, whatever it may be. Um, you know, conduct those repairs or those changes, uh, and then resurveil it. Well, how, what was your results? And you have to keep running in that circle on your wells, and you have to treat it as a system. And that's a very key key thing uh, with gas lift, and it, it it does take time and it does take data. Yeah and stuff but there's a uh, because it is like i said it's a forgiving artificial lift system in a lot of cases those inefficiencies and those lost opportunities can be missed if you're just looking at them in a snapshot and not in a system so uh, developing a robust surveillance program i think is uh, very important uh, for for production yeah. engineers um you know just on, on that comment but if you got a throw this back at you, Kelly, just a little bit, but if you've got some engineers that are just sitting down and looking at these wells, um, you know, you would probably want to take, first thing is is from take a look at the uh, the design and what, what what were the parameters that the design was made for and where your where's your well today? Because, you know, if, if you've got a, a system that was running the ground four years ago when the well was doing six or seven or 800 barrels a day and you're doing 60 uh it's a very highly likely that that gasless system is not totally. going to be functioning in the way that it was designed to and and that would be you know maybe one of the first things you do is just identify the systems that have gone you know had such a, a, a big variation since their initial design and look at them some more so that might be kind of a a way of creating a priority list and then creating this uh, surveillance system and, and the testing and stuff like that. But, but I mean, that's one of the things that like, we, we see this a lot, you know, people put gas lift in and it's kind of yeah, like it, one it, and it done. It does feel that way. And, and they never change. Yeah. And, and that is, it is not, it's not the way this works. And you know, Kelly can talk a lot more about it, but, but, you know, the, a well that's doing 60 barrels a day today that had a design at 600 or 700, 800 barrels, it, the, the chances that you're even getting past the middle of that system because of the temperature changes and stuff are probably pretty low with most of the designs you see. That Talk more about that because you just tell on um, temperature, but like, you know, wh what are the temperature? Because the audience may not know so much about like the temperature impact on, on your valves. Can you explain that to us about like why that matters so much? So Sure, I, this is a cutaway of an inch and a half yes, retrievable gas lift valve. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And I hope you can see it on your screen, but just again, I'm not going to go over uh, endlessly, but essentially you have your bellows and you have your dome area, and this would be your nitrogen charged uh, area. So most gas lift valves, just some, some spring uh, controlled and such, but most gas lift valves are a nitrogen uh, controlled valve. They'll have a bellows, they'll have a dome area for your nitrogen. You'll set your, your pressure, uh, you know, which will be pressuring the dome and the bellows. So of course, like any, and now, like I say, this is a cutaway in the real world. This would be, um, uh, uh, you know, this would be uh, obviously all enclosed. It's a sealed vessel. And with any gas, uh, you know, in a sealed area, you increase temperature, you're right. going to increase the pressure. You decrease uh, temperature, you're going to decrease the pressure. So, you know, when these valves are designed, and it's a little less of an issue deeper in the well where the temperatures are more stable over the well's life, uh, you know, but when we, you know, when we come into a well and it's it's initial production, I mean, you know, these things, you know, we're, we're in a lot of cases, we're putting uh, gas lift on these wells right after they've, uh, you know, milled out uh, the lateral. I mean, we're, we're doing flowbacks at, you know, 2,500 or 3,000 barrels a day or more. Uh, the temperatures are, you know, significant at that surface. And uh, I'll try not to slip into too much metric, but I'm not very good at doing temperature uh, conversions in my head. You know, but we might be looking at, uh, you know, 60 or 70 degrees Celsius uh, surface temperature where, you know, we come down the road, uh, you know, a couple of months on that well. Now we're looking at, uh, you know, 40 degrees and we keep going until we're down to, to, to 10 or 15 yeah, or, cut, you know, uh, almost, 60 uh, Fahrenheit. Or, or more, you know. Or much more. I mean, we, we'll see, uh, you know, huge temperature swings. So, of course, the hotter the well is, uh, you know, the more... The, the hotter the valve is at depth, the more pressures in that TRO. And you, and you can make, you know, you make uh, adjustments for that uh, in your design, but wells change over time. And that's, that's kind of the thing is, is wells change over time. And what we, you know, what we, we try to get to is we, we hope that uh, we've drawn that well down enough that we're injecting deep enough and kicking off deep enough that we've moved away. Even though those, those valves opening points have cooled, that now we're actually injecting deeper. And I guess one of the things we didn't really talk on with an IPO, which is an injection pressure operated valve, which is a high percentage of the uh, wells, uh, onshore wells use IPO valves. Um, they have to take a pressure drop at every right. valve. That's how they stage down. So each valve will have a pressure drop between them. So, you know, we try to design to, uh, you know, as the well depletes, we yeah. want to be kicking off deeper and deeper. But each time we have a pressure drop, we're giving up injection pressure. We have to. I mean, we're losing injection pressure. We're giving it up in the design. So, you know, we, uh, uh, you know, there's there's a limit to, uh, you know, how much we get. I mean, if we if we give up way too much injection pressure to keep these way apart from each other, so we never cool off enough, well, then we're just mm -hmm. giving up future injection depth, and we got to go in anyways and change it. And if we don't give enough injection pressure drops, no. Sorry, my computer decided to switch screens. Um, so, uh, you know, if we don't give uh, enough injection pressure drops, then we yeah. end up with a lot of multi-pointing and a lot of uh, uh, situations where, um, uh, you know, where the, the system's less than ideal. So, so yeah, so, I mean, temperature, um, all these things have a have a uh, significant difference, and that's just, just naturally the well's declining. We're, they're going to be conditions of change and you know a gas lift is a is a one artificial lift system that if you change anything about the system you change the way the whole system operates 
um, your injection gas gravity. The you know you you have a let's say you were injecting with wet gas from a site compressor and uh, you know it had a, a specific gravity of, you know 0.78 or something like that. You switch to a central gas where you're buying or a dehydrated gas and it's 0.6. Your pressure at that valve depth when you're injecting Point. is now significantly yeah. less because you're using a lighter gas. That's just one example where you change something, you change the so way the whole system the operates. Your system needs to be evaluated. Um, you know, so there's so yeah. it's it's a nature gas lift that it, it, any one thing changes changes the whole system. So you have to look at it as a system. You have to look at the whole way it operates as a system. Like all right, so you were talking about system changes, Clint. Do you have anything to add to just like system change of temperature, pressures, and stuff? Like, do you want to do you want to throw anything in there before we? Talk through uh, plunger lift and how it impacts gas lift. No, I mean I, I think you know maybe maybe what we should do very quickly is just maybe give a, a real brief explanation on on a couple of things. So for people that have or never really work with gas lift, it's important to realize that as your pressure drops at surface, the way the gas lift system is, it means you're getting deeper. And I get a lot of people that get confused. I think as you go deeper, the pressure should increase at surface, but it really when Kelly's talking about getting pressure drops between valves, what that means is the higher pressure, so the, the highest pressure opening valve is at the top. And as we go deeper, mm -hmm. the pressures are lower so that when, when this valve closes, the pressure's dropping because with another valve below it is taking gas. So the pressure is able to drop so then this upper valve can close and then more of the gas goes to the next valve. And then as that liquid level continues to drop in the tubing, of course, the pressures all start to drop because it, it, right? And then the next valve closes. So that's, that's, that's kind of explaining it. So people aren't getting confused because it's easy if you don't really understand it and think, oh, well, you go deeper, the pressure goes up. Well, but it's actually the exact opposite, opposite way. So when Kelly says, well, you got to have a pressure drop, it means that you got you to allow the pressure to drop in the casing enough to get the valve above it to close. So if, and, and, and if you have very, very tight pressure spacings between the valve, you can get it to where uh, valves, you, you can never get the valves really to close. And especially when temperature is involved, because when that temperature, you know, at the very bottom of the well, the temperature really doesn't change. You know, it's going to stay. And at the top of the well, it's probably not going to change too much. It may a little. But in the middle of the well, you'll see a huge swing or it can see quite a large swing. In temperature so those are the valves where they can get way out of sequence so i just wanted to bring that up because just in, for people that didn't maybe quite understand how they, they step down the, the other thing is you know the the you know i don't really have much to add i guess to what kelly has said is very very clear but um you just we just have to make sure that you collect really good data when you go when people are looking at it mm -hmm. to start this process because uh, I and you know Kelly can can jump in on this as well. But if so many times we get phone calls and so many times it's just poor data, poor data, and 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 you know especially your your whole business is basically about this kind of stuff, and and it is a, is one of the major uh, it gets people chasing their tails. So you know gas lift all about data, all about getting proper numbers making sure your systems are working right so you can make a, a smart decision on your MOOC 04 plan. So, so that would be my last comment, I guess, mm -hmm. on gas lift I have.
Yeah, and, and I mean, I'll, you know, uh, one thing I'll add, I mean, when we, when we design a gas lift system, I mean, we essentially design it to what we're told to design it to. I mean, we're a service company. We don't, uh, you know, so, so, you know, the, the best data you have from a design or an initial perspective, uh, it's important. I mean, we, we do design to, you know, what we're told the well conditions are. We obviously we look and if we, uh, see something that doesn't make sense, we will, we'll raise the question, but everybody designing doesn't matter what company or, or whether it's in-house or anything, um, the, the best data available to, to do the design for the conditions you expect. Um, that's really garbage important. Garbage in, garbage out, right? What's that, sorry? Garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage yeah. out. It, it is, it is. And, you know, and, and we do, um, uh, you know, we, we uh, you know, we do have, uh, you know, obviously a lot of changes happening in our industry lately. A lot of people with a lot of work on their plates and a lot on their shoulders and, uh, uh, you know, we've, we've, you know, we went from negative oil, uh, not that long ago to where we are now, uh, you, you know, but, um, there, there, there does need to, uh, uh, you know, there does need to be, uh, uh, the best data possible to give whoever's providing your, uh, sure. your service. I mean, there's, there's lots of fantastic gas lift companies out there in the market. There's, uh, you know, um, lots of great guys, lots of knowledgeable guys, but they all need the best information to work with to give you the best results. That's the final thing I'd say on the, on the gas lift from a design perspective. Okay. So let's say we stick a plunge lift in it. We stick a plunger in it. What, what happens first off and how do we optimize that and troubleshoot it? Because I think so many people are trying to find ways to not have to use, and I don't mean to bash rod pumps, but we're in a very gas heavy, I guess, industry now because we've, We've gone towards shale and gone towards just, um, uh, I would say what we were doing in the 80s, 90s is, is different from how we're doing it now. Uh, our GORs are significantly higher. That doesn't mean you can necessarily use a rod pump on it. Um, so you see gas of being a very quick um, way to get these wells um, up and performing optimally. But then you see plunger lift get involved and, um, you know, hit me, Clint, with uh, just what is Paggle? What is Gapple? And, you know, we'll dive into um, just where we see this kind of going because, uh, yeah, hit me. So the very first thing that people have to understand is all the same rules that apply to plunger lift apply to Gapple and Paggle. The same plunger speeds, the same fall rates, so all that, nothing changes. It's still a plunger lift. Mm -hmm. So when you're do you want to say it again? Because like I feel like people like think just because it's like a gasless, gas-assisted yeah. system, they're like, well, I could run it a little bit slower, or I could use a different style plunger, or I could do you know something different. You're well, saying the rules apply. Yeah, all the rules are the same. It doesn't change the plunger lift operating, or you know the the rules. Now, um, what what's different is now I have control of the the gas, the GLRs, the velocities in the yeah. tube, I can do, I can make that well anything I want to make it. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be running better or not, but I can do anything. I can sure. jack the gas up. I can take the gas away. But when you're running it, it's if you're going to run a plunger lift, whether you have gas assist or not, the rules are the same. If you bring that plunger up okay. hard, you're going to damage the top. If you don't give it enough off time, the plunger's not going to make it to bottom and you're going to get 
you know, the plunger might come back, but you're not going to be lifting the fluid. You know, the things that you'll see much different in many with with uh, with gas lift is is wax uh, production. You can, sure. you know, when you're injecting a dry, cold gas through a valve, if if you hit that, you know, into that tubing, and you have paraffins, it plates that stuff up very quickly. So there's something that does doesn't change the way the plunger is working, but your operations change. You got to be very aware of that, so you maybe have to cycle more often and things like that. Just mm-hmm. keep ahead of that. So there's, but but yeah. The rules for plunger lift don't change. Okay, so let's talk about Pagel and Gapple. So, yeah. Pagel is plunger-assisted gas lift, and how I explain it is that if it's plunger-assisted gas lift, you're running it like a gas lift system. And where do you run Pagel? Pagel is when I'm not at the bottom of the orifice, or I need to lift liquid like a gas lift. So that means it's continuous injection and all this kind of stuff. So the primary driver for well production is gas lift. When I'm doing de-waxing and I got a plunger landed at, uh, you know, 5,000 feet in a 10,000 foot well, and it's strictly just for cutting wax because we're having a lot of wax mm-hmm. issues. That's a pagel. We need, and you'd be running something like a free cycle plunger or something like that because that, no, because from where that plunger sitting to your injection point has to be operated like a gas lift. Gas lift is primary. Plunger is just an assistant. Secondary. It's a yeah. sec- It's for mechanical uh, reasons like wax or or something like that. So okay. that's that's the way Pagel is. So you've got to remember to operate. Gas lift is primary. We got to make the plunger lift work with that. And, and I will, sorry, and I would just add to that. So if you if you look at your well and you look at your vertical lift performance curve or your your outflow curve. Um, you know, if that outflow curve or your VLP is still inclining, you're, you're, you're rising, then from a gas lift perspective, uh, you're probably still in a good window for, you know, within your, for your, your minimum fluid rates for tubing size and wellhead pressure. So if you're still in that window, you're still operating, you should still be operating relatively efficiently as a gas lift system. So in that case, if you're adding a plunger, it may be for scale or, or um, you know wax or whichever the case may be, but it, it it you are still in a good window for for true continuous gas lift. So it's a it's a pagel application, and then a gap hole in gas assisted plunger lift, where plunger lift is now the main driver, and typically gap hole, or what I consider when you're starting to gap hole is we've gone to the lowest injection point possible, we've set the yeah. spring just above that injection point. And now we're going to start to intermit the well. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we're intermitting injection, but we're going to reduce it. But we're going to, the primary drivers are plunger lift. So we run the well like a plunger and we make the gas assisted. So whether that's cycling gas injection, reducing gas injection, um, you know, or, 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 or whatever we need to do to make sure that plunger comes up. But the rules you use for running with plunger lift our priority over gas lift. Because okay. yeah, we don't need that gas lifting. The gas no longer has to push the liquid to the plunger. The plunger's down to the lowest point anyways. So now we can produce it like a plunger. Unlike a pagel where we always have to still lift gas to the plunger, sorry, liquid to the plunger using the gas. Mm-hmm. So that section needs to be treated like the gas lift. 
And if you try to run a well like a gapple when you're landing high, you're going to have a lot of issues because you're basically going to be slugging from the bottom hole springs down to the end of tubing and the well's going to be loaded and all sorts of issues. So, so you want to try to use that mindset. Um, so pagels, typically a pagel is going to have a continuous cycle plunger where we have very short shut-in time. Long sleeve. Yeah, it doesn't mean there's bypass. Or very few cycles of conventional. You may cycle once every day or two just to control sure. some wax. I mean, you may just yeah. do that essentially yeah. as, a, as a de-waxing tool every, intermittently every once in a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you might, you might either leave your injection on or you might shut the injection on. I mean, there's things to do it. But it's still primarily gas lift. So that, and that's, that's the key mm-hmm. point. Um, you know, gapple can be basically anything, conventionals, you know, any type of plunger. I mean, either can be any, any plunger, but typically it can be, you know, Pagel's going to be more of a quick cycle type plunger with less off sure. time. Gapple's going to be more, it can be, uh, could be definitely a conventional where you shut the well in. And, and really then when you're looking at your gas, you, you can optimize your gas injection, uh, a lot more with a gapple than you might with a pagel where right you know you could set up a well where the you're just on the edge of making a plunger work right and you just need that tiny little bit of extra oomph if the line pressure pops up or something and you, know, you can yeah. set it up so that if the plunger doesn't show up in 10 minutes because or, or sorry in 15 minutes it's usually up in in 10 that it just kicks the valve on for a few minutes till the plunger shows up kind of like the idea we used to do with the old tank valve where you'd kick the valve open to the tank to unload the well and then you shut it again, except we don't do that anymore. We shouldn't be going to the tank. What we do now is you say, hey, let's just give it a little shot of gas just to get it that last few hundred. Sure. And then once it's there, we shut the gas off again all the way to where we're injecting full time. And we're, you know, and all we're doing with the plunger is trying to make that a little more efficient. And, and it kind of runs into the difference between Kelly started to talk about it a little bit. The difference between true gas lift and when we get into mm-hmm. liquidation mode, and and you talked about a little bit is is when we're in a true gas lift environment, we have enough fluid in the tubing that when we gasify it, when we fill it full of the gas and we stretch that column out, it basically the pressure at the bottom is strong enough to push that gasified column out out of the top of the hose and put it into your bucket. Once you don't have enough fluid to reach to the top. The only way you can get it up there so it is to increase your gas bulk right. velocity and it becomes the whole tubing needs to be above critical rate. So that's when you start becoming more and more inefficient. So you kind of hit a wall. So we can use a number, two and three H is 200 barrels a day, but there's a wide range. It could be two, depending on pressures and stuff, it could be 75 barrels a day or 300 barrels a day and two and Three eighths could be three to four hundred. I mean, it's actually a lot higher than people realize. Where you sure. start moving into these deliquefaction. Well, when you hit that point, you can increase your efficiency again by putting in the plunger. Because where I might need, um, you know, maybe my my end of tubing critical rate is a million standard cubic feet a day. If I put in a two piece or if I put in a continuous cycle plunger, a, a, you know, a really good rule of thumb is that you need about 60% of critical rate to make a velocity style plunger run sure. continuously. I mean, and that's, that's a rule of thumb. There's a window, but, but that means that if all I need is 600,000 a day of total gas coming up that tubing from 
the plunger to make that run nice and efficiently. Mm-hmm. Well, if that well produces on its own 570 MCF a day, I need to add 30, right? Or if I'm producing 300 a day, I need to add 300. But if I'm trying to be in the critical, I'm and that you know if I'm producing 300, I need to inject 700. So I can reduce my injection by 400 MCF a day when I add a plunger. If I don't think people are doing that. Like I, I mean, I think people right now are just doing like, hey, I've got, I'll just put it at 300. They're not thinking about the critical rate piece of it. They're not thinking about that element. Clint. I think yeah. it's just like, well, what do I need to put it at that seems yeah. to be kind of reliable? There's not like a, a theory behind it, like you're saying. Well, and, and the, I think the big, biggest reason is that people don't really know what condition their gas lift is. And quite honestly, mm-hmm. I would say the majority of the guys, when they get to the point when they're putting a plunger lift in, there's a problem with their gas lift. I mean, there's... Interesting. There, it, I think it's worth like highlighting. Like The reason people are swapping to, to make a gapple instead of this gas lift is they're like, oh, well, gas lift just isn't cutting it for us. So let's put a plunger lift in it. And, and they put it in and they've got a bunch of leaky valves or they got a problem. So you can't, what happens is you put the plunger in. Well, it doesn't come up because 80% of your gas is coming up 2,000 feet. valve or something. Yeah. So then what do they do is they actually crank the plunger, the gas up, or they don't reduce it. So they, and, they, and, mm. and they're correcting that by, you'll see guys, well, I'll just pull the, the plunger bottom hole spring up a little bit higher. But the problem is sure. when as soon as you do that, you're still pagal. Because everything below the spring, you still need to lift it up there. So if I mm-hmm. try to reduce my gas, I just liquid load the well below the spring. Yeah. So so I can't. So so that stops that ability. So having very good information, understanding the condition in your system, gives you all these advantages. Walking out there and having a gas lift and dropping a plunger, you're 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 you know you know you're basically mm-hmm. throwing bullshit on the barn door trying to see if you hit yeah. the target. And, and, and you don't know. And if it doesn't work, why isn't it working? And I've, I've had a couple of operators come to me and say, oh, we tried it. It, it didn't work. We stopped. We just didn't. I said, well, why didn't it work? Well, we, I don't know. We put them in. It didn't work. We just went back to gas. We took it out, cranked it up. We didn't say anything. Well, <laughs> if you don't know why it didn't work, because you tell me why a plunger wouldn't come up a piece of tubing, if you've got a million a day going out of it, there is no yeah. reason for that plunger not to come up. If it didn't come up, there's a reason for it. So it's yeah. not the system. It's not that plungers don't work. I mean, they work in every other situation. So let's yeah. understand the, hmm. the the reasons behind it. And that's like when we go back and, and not, not to, you know, flog the well tracers side of it too much, but because we can really understand flog. what, the, well, because we can understand what the you know where we're injecting and what the velocities are through the entire tube string, we can say, hey, well, because these valves are not working or we're having problems, you can't really land the plunger below this point because we don't have enough gas from the well to support it. Or we can't run a free cycle plunger because there's not enough gas. Maybe we can shut the well in and run a conventional. Um, so that'll tell you, hey, if, if we go in and we fix those valves, then we can get down to this point. Well, we're, if we're not, we don't fix the valves. We're injecting 700 MCF a day. If we fix the valves, I'm injecting 80 because I'm getting the gas that I need below the plunger. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, we can get that plunger to the bottom. So there's there's a lot of value, a lot more value in understanding that very clearly. And and you know, again, guys are looking at pressure. Oh, well, the pressure says we're at bottom. No, you're not. The pressure's telling you. 
it could be a bottom or you could have a big valve up above that's leaking a whole bunch of gas through it and and, and 80 percent of your gas is going where you don't think it is yeah so so there's a big big opportunity i think if people really looked at this now the other thing by understanding that what's going on there's all that savings of injection gas and costs and all that stuff the other reason of doing it properly is that it builds confidence in your system with your operators because you know how long it works when somebody's banging their head against the wall, mm-hmm. and and they, you know, it doesn't. They're, they're the first guys to say, "I've worked on this for two weeks. I can't get this plunger to come up work, you know, unless I blow it to a tank or unless I do this." Let's do it. Well, and then your whole system gets blown out, and it's all over not really understanding what's going on, and and you know we do. I don't know how many well traces we're doing a month now. And I would, I don't think I would be stretching it if I didn't say well over 90% fail the test. I think that's the big issue we're talking about here is that like when it comes to Gapple and Gaslit, it's because the system isn't behaving the way it's supposed to be because some sort of integrity based issue, whether it's valve, plunger whatever it is that seems to be the big issue and and what it sounds like is from a troubleshooting perspective the appropriate steps are not being taken to set that system up for success kelly would you agree with that yeah i would and i mean i I think a fairly straightforward thing with it is you know traditional plunger lift without without gas assist uh you know is an artificial lift system that has no added energy unlike rod mm-hmm. pumps esp whatever the case may be we're adding we're, we're lifting that fluid because we can add energy well if we take gapple we now have plunger lift and we have the ability to add energy and if you you know if you have a a plunger lift system i mean there's hundreds of thousands of uh you know wells that are able to lift fluid or tens of thousands in north america running plunger lift um you know, we know plunger lift works. We know, sure. we know, plunger, we, 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 I mean, it's not a, uh, a new technology or a new, a new methodology. Mm-hmm. And all we've done is we've added the ability to add energy. Yeah. So if you can't make it run, uh, then that's telling you that there's something else going on. There's a mechanical issue. There's something else going on, whether it be the plunger, whether it be in the gasless system. So absolutely before you, uh, invest in a gasless system, um, and you may, like I say, there's various different methods that you may do it. Run a predictive model. If everything looks really solid, move forward. Uh, if there's nothing really giving you any concern, move forward. It doesn't. They don't. Predictive models don't always answer your questions, but it gives you a starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, well tracer. Obviously, uh, you know, we talk about that because it's something we offer. But there's a lot of services, uh, gradients, uh, uh, fiber optic surveys, whatever the service is that you're comfortable with or you're familiar with or is available in your area. These are all tools to diagnose your gasless system uh, before you invest in that plunger lift. I mean, start with, yeah. set yourself up for success. Make sure everything's working right. If it's working right, it's a relatively small investment uh, to diagnose that well before you put that plunger lift system on versus the time or swabbing or various different intervention you may be doing because that system isn't working right. And, uh, you know, it's a relatively small incremental cost to set yourself up for success because, you know, the reality is, is that uh, it's a system, it's a plunger lift system we can add energy to. So, you know, unless we're, Mm -hmm. you know, way out there in liquid rates where we're talking, we're still true gas lift or, or something, 
uh, there's no reason they won't run. There's yeah. no magic to it. If we're putting the gas in the right place, we're adding the energy where we need it, and they will run. And they just run with the same rules as a plunger. You know, one of the one of the things that that's interesting too is is the the huge volumes of liquid that we are actually lifting with plunger lifts in these wells. And it's um, a really good point. You know, it's not uncommon for us to be working on wells. We're doing a couple hundred cubes a day or, you know, a thousand. Like there is some where we've been over a thousand barrels a day. Now, there's a whole conversation. Well, how much work is the plunger doing? Well, the plunger's not doing much work. The well is. But what we're doing there is it's adding that mechanical opportunity for removing wax and things like that. And then we can see some some advantages. So by being able to add energy, we can use that as a as a tool to improve that because again it's more of a pagel application because we know the well's still responding to gas lift but the plunger's getting value so but you can you can do some pretty amazing things um with these with these type of systems there was one other comment i wanted to make now we're working more and more and seeing this a lot where pressures are getting really high like thousand psi type yeah. pressures and you know, one of the when you start getting up into a thousand psi, and 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 your fall rates and stuff with plungers change significantly. Mm. Like, um, you know, a, a well that's sitting at three hundred psi surface pressure, and uh, you know, six seven hundred psi bottom hole pressure. You know, maybe the the, the typical drop time will be fifty five minutes or sixty minutes to get to the bottom. When you start getting over 700, 800 PSI or 1,000 PSI, and, you know, the, the time for a plunger to get to bottom will be 90 minutes, wow. 87 minutes. It can make a huge difference, and people don't recognize that. So I've run into this, to a couple, I've run into this a couple of times as well, where we're, we're dealing with these real high pressures, but they're not understanding, or they're, it's not, they just don't realize how much it impacts the, the fall times of that. Yeah. So you, you get so a you plunger get running. Yeah, you get short trips. Now the plunger really doesn't come up that fast because it's a thousand psi. There's not a lot of velocity. Yeah. But but it sure isn't doing you any good at bottom. And basically right. you're getting all these things. So I've seen this several times now. Um and, and lots of times you just say, Hey guys, you know, you need to shut in for another half an hour or whatever. So understanding that well conditions significantly impact fall time, rise speed, you know. If you're flowing a well at a thousand psi, and you're trying to run a plunger, don't be surprised if it takes you 45 minutes. And quite frankly, that's okay, because yeah. when you look at what the velocities are, they're they're the gas velocities are they're creeping up that tubing at that speed or at that, those type of pressures. Yeah. So uh, that might be my other comment with with this, and we're seeing it more and more. It, it's not so much with gas lift, but we do see some higher pressure gas lift a lot more, I think, in North America than anywhere else in the world, but pretty common to have 500 600 psi on the on the tubing and and uh, injecting you know 13 1400 psi yep. you know so it, it changes all everything shifts everything slows down you gotta rethink a little bit just because it works over in a well that's got 200 psi pipeline pressure it's not going to work the same same depth and everything you get over on this system that's got 600 psi line pressure you got to redo your thinking it's not the same and, and, and just circling back to just straight up gas lift, I mean, that's an important point that, you know, your optimal uh, lift gas rate or your, your, your lift gas response curve or 
uh, anything, um, both your minimum liquid rate uh, for tubing size, it's minimum liquid rate for tubing size and wellhead pressure. Higher wellhead pressure, you're going to get into an area where gas lift is simply not effective because your velocities are too low, your gas is breaking out through the fluid you do have, and it becomes very inefficient. So you have to start hitting it with more and more gas. Well, of course, when you have higher line pressures, you have to keep hitting it with more and more gas because your critical rate's higher, because you're you're starting with a whole a well that has a higher pressure to begin with. So high line pressures uh, have a very, or high flowing tubing head pressures have a uh, very high detrimental effect on gas lift, just like plunger. So keeping, like, like, like Clint said, I mean, if, you know, if you have two wells that are relatively similar, but you have different operating conditions, uh, understand what that's doing. And in, you know, and really weigh up the value of, uh, uh, you know, if you have very high line pressures and you want to add compression to increase your ejection pressure, you will probably find that there's a much higher benefit to add compression to bring down your flowing tubing head pressure. It's not a one-to-one ratio. I mean, you will get more bang for your buck with lower line pressure with gas lift uh, sure. than you will with uh, higher injection pressure. Okay. So, well, so what advice would you, I mean, if we think about who our listeners really are, I mean, it's, we've got engineers out there, we've got field operators, we've got folks in IT. Um, what would you share as just general advice when it comes to gas lift and gaffle that you haven't already given to us? What really so, matters that you feel like you should have said? One thing for gas lift I'll, I'll add is uh, um, inch and a half valves. If you are able to fit them in your well, it's not just that they're bigger and more expensive. There is some, there is some significant performance differences between an inch and a half and a one inch valve. And that's simply because mm-hmm. of uh, bellow size and ratios to your port and such. Um, and I won't go into this too long because I could bore you for hours about it. But a, an inch and a half valve like this uh, may have a, a, a load rate, a bellows load rate, and it may be somewhere uh, 500 to, you know, 500 to 700 pounds per inch. The valves don't actually move an inch, but if you were to actually make it stroke a full inch, you'd need 500 pounds above uh, opening pressure to fully stroke that valve. Um, a, a comparable retrievable one inch valve, a comparable a retrievable valve. Um, and, and I'll just yeah. briefly do this to, if you don't mind. Size. Sorry. Yeah, bring it up. Show us the good. So this is a retrievable valve with a, with a latch on it. This is a conventional uh, valve, which would be a tubing conveyed uh, valve, yep. both one inch. Now this valve, the, the retrievable has a much smaller dome area. And it's just simply because it had to fit in the pocket and everything. Mm-hmm. So these valves have a much higher, uh, load rate uh then you know particularly like i say an inch and a half uh we may see five to seven hundred pounds per inch uh, bellows load rate these valves we may see 1800 to 2800 or higher so significantly yeah. more pressure to get this valve not from where it becomes unbalanced and starts to open but to actually get this open and throughput so and that's there, there's a bunch of surface that, to give i mean we're talking about like gas lift Press the surface that can give twelve hundred. I mean, how are we going to get up to two thousand? You know, yeah. I mean, that's tough. So, so I mean, and that's the thing is, is in in virtually every real world instance, unless there's a bunch of fluid on the valve, like on your initial startup, these valves work as throttling valves. They're not full open. I mean, there's very 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 rare cases where they're full open, unless they have a bunch of fluid or it's very deep in the well. Um, so they're always they are working as a throttling valve. 
Um, so you're able to get much more throughput. Yeah. Lot, there's some design things like you could you can uh, actually decrease the amount of pressure drops you need, minimize multi-pointing um, between an inch and a half. Now, a one-inch conventional has a much larger dome. So they do have better performance than the retrievables. And it's just because they're, they, they have a large dome. It's not that one-inch valves um, are terrible or anything like that. Uh, they just simply don't perform as good as inch and a half. So it's not just that they're more expensive. And to be quite honest, the ratio and cost between an inch and a half and a, and a one-inch, uh, inch and a half are great value. They're not as much, they're not as much more, uh, their cost isn't uh, higher, uh, you know, significantly higher compared to, uh, what goes into them? I mean, they're just and so there's performance advantages. They are more they are more robust because they are just simply bigger. They have a longer stroke in their design. Uh, they have a much bigger seat, a much bigger ball stem. They're just simply tougher. So for longevity, for better design and better for better performance, uh, if you can fit it in your completion, if it'll fit in your casing and it'll fit in your tubing size, um, it, it isn't just a stale sales stick to try to upsell you they're a better valve okay so that's one thing i would say is about valve geometry is is often overlooked and uh it, it, it there is significant differences so you work with what you can and if you can't fit you know if you you, you fit what you can in the well and do the best that you can with that uh but it's it's there is value Love understanding it. valve geometry that's so. great yeah when you talk, when you talk about gapple on that on that Point. I mean, you know, if you think about it, you've got three or four of those one-inch valves that are all multi-pointing. First, because you know, to get any through, uh, throughput, you got to, you know, you're jamming the pressure up, and three or four valves are opening. Mm -hmm. Where if you're using an inch and a half, you can get the throughput because that valve opens, you know, sixty percent instead of two percent or three percent at the pressures. You know, it's going to it's going to only open at one valve or two valves instead of multi-pointing across four or five. So now you're getting the gas down where you need to. And I mean, obviously, if you're down to the orifice, it's it's where you want to be without injecting above it. But but it does make a big difference. I mean, it, there's, it, uh, it, it does. And and, uh, you know, in the real world, and this is, you know, real world measurements, we see less multi-pointing, less failures. And these are these are from tests. These are well tracer tests, real world wells. Uh, we do see that inch and a half wells uh it, it, val wells equipped with inch and a half valves have a there's a lot more of them that have been successful they successfully ran down to the orifice without failure without other intervention so uh i, I mean it, particularly if it's a tubing conveyed system that requires a rig uh, it's something to consider and I, I mean i'm a big believer in the value and it's not um you know it's not just trying to upsell there's not a tremendous uh, difference. Well, uh, typically, you can probably run fewer valves inch and a half versus one inch two, right? Well, because you can put more throughput at a single point at at, at a given pressure. Uh, yeah, typically within reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but so uh, it, it may, may not. It's, it's not necessarily always a cost thing, anyways. You could well, and one thing you can do, like I said, it's very common to to design for an inch and a half. You can get superior performance with lower pressure drop valve to valve which allows you to maintain more injection pressure, which allows you to get deeper, faster, mm. accelerating your production, getting you closer to, you know, getting you closer to uh, uh, ultimately landing that gapple system okay. and, and moving to the next stage. There's one other thing I, I'd like to bring yeah, up because I've been talking to different operators too. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I believe this, that 
we've really kind of fallen into this idea of one and done, right? We're trying to design to put a gasless system in that's going to take us from, you know, early production to the end of life of well. And if you're going to be, you know, as your as our wells producing and and the levels are slowly dropping, if you're going to have a conventional system where those valves are working for a year or two years, where they're opening and closing in your valve, you know, you're going to have a high uh, chance right. that those valves are, are going to fail. They're not, you know, they're 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 mechanical pieces. So if if they've sat there for two years, chattering open and closed. You could you you you're probably going to end up tripping that out and, and running in some sure. different, especially if it's a one again an inch and a half by that. So when I look at you know life of well, there's sometimes when you say hey we're not going to get to the orifice, we know we're not going to get the orifice in a reasonable time. We're going to be working these valves. Well, you know what? You may consider running side pockets initially, and you may consider uh, you know you don't run side pockets with you know. You, 12 side pockets of 12 valves, you run the side pockets and put the orifice where you're going to inject to and run dummies and work your way down that way. And then once you're to the bottom and once you're, you're, you're there, yeah, you trip the whole system out and you run in a conventional system with two or three valves mm-hmm. or whatever you need and, and an orifice and you set it up for gas, or, I mean, for Apple or pay, um, uh, applications. Okay. So, so when, you're, when you're considering your life of well and how you're going to do it, there's, you, you can you can kind of I think fool yourself sometimes and say oh I'm going to put in a system and it's going to those valves are going to work for three years and I'm going to going to carry on or kind of accept the fact that you're going to have to do a work over somewhere along the line and plan for it um, but it's really about well how long are we, I mean if you're going to get the bottom in two weeks right and the only time you're going to use those valves is we get frac hit or mm. startup or something then that makes that makes a lot more sense but but if you're working you know for years in those valves it's probably not the best idea in my opinion I mean, kelly comment yeah i mean i i guess the other thing i'd add to that is you if you have a field that's changing very dynamically like right now we're seeing a lot of drilling activity there's a lot of new wells coming on uh you, you know you may you know compress or constraints and it takes time to get infrastructure in so if you have an area where you're completing wells and you know there's going to be a lot of changes uh, because infrastructure changes, you're adding pipelines, but you know you're going to have high line pressures, you're going to go low. You're probably better off starting with a more flexible system like a side pocket that allows you more cost-effective mm-hmm. uh, redesigns. And and if you do, if you start and like you know Clint said, uh, you know you start, you put the valves you need and you put your orifice where you hope to inject or where your planned injection depth is. And as the well declines, you're going to move those down. You can really move it to more of a planned maintenance. It, 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 instead of a reactive maintenance, you run until you have a failure. You 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 know uh, you you keep track of where that's injecting. You do the models. You and you you can plan out when that next and you know plan maintenance and everything, whether it's downhole or whether it's surface. Plan maintenance is always more effective and, and always lower cost than reactive maintenance. And you can you can treat gas lift the same way if you if you plan it. You know, through the stage, get it to the eventually get it to the uh, uh, lowest point. Uh, you know, to your to your orifice or your deepest uh, point of injection, and then move to your next stage. Uh, put in your conventional simple gapple system, and away you go. And run the well. You know, yeah. operate the well uh, at a low cost, uh, uh, efficient way for the rest of its life. Yeah. So. I got one, and I got one more comment. Yeah, I was going to make on the on the uh, plunger lift side is 
just remember, Gapple, Pagel, Plunger Lift, the plunger runs, you know, the, a plunger is a plunger. The rules apply. Mm -hmm. It's not magical. It's not scary. It, you know, and, honestly, and, and a lot of people get very concerned about this, but, you know, you have to control the plunger speed. Of course you do. You got to do all these sure. things. But it actually gives you tremendous um, uh, ability to do to make that well operate the way you want it because now you're you know you're not reliant on what that formation is going to do. I can set what that rate is. I can increase it. I can decrease it. I can make a setting and gather the data. And does it make it better? Does it make it worse? You know, and and it really is actually an excellent system, yeah. assuming the the mechanics of the system the are being there. Not that that's what gonna... Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the caveat to that is knowing where the gas is actually going, you know, and, and, and you know, this is really, you know, real quick, I'll, I'll add this. You you may have a well um, where you do, you are injecting a little high, maybe one station above where your, where your plunger's landed and, uh, you know, increasing the lift gas and you're having some slow arrivals, increasing the lift gas all of a sudden speeds up your arrivals, but you're seeing surface damage. Mm. Well, what's really happening? The plunger is struggling to go from that bottom hole spring assembly to wherever your injection is. So you may not run in there with a rig immediately because there may not be a huge amount of benefit. But what you may do is instead of increasing your lift gas and accelerating that plunger from where that gas is coming into surface, you may increase your off time to increase the amount of energy you have to go from that, B, that, that bottom hole sure. spring assembly to the where it is injecting. It doesn't mean that you know, you find a leak and in every single case or you find a valve failure in every single case, it's immediately a rig job. It may just give you good insight into how to operate that plunder the most effective way you can for the conditions. Mm -hmm. And if you can, you know, if you need, if you need a little more energy below where your gas is going in, you're going to get that with off time. You're going to get that from formation energy and adding a whole bunch of lift gas may speed up your average arrivals but it's not helping you where those plunger struggling. So that's just, like I say, having insight to what is going on with your gas lift system uh, is, is, is critical to uh, a successful operation of GAPL. Okay. Yep. Love it. I think, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, some big takeaways for me is uh, first off uh, the misperception around uh, GAPL pattern and that, that it is a, uh, a different beast and um, that it requires almost a different mode of operation and plunger lift is no longer the rules to, you know, the, the rules you follow for typical plunger lift you can't follow for Gapple. So I think that's a, a good myth buster there, Clint. And then secondly to that is um, I think gas lift in the industry is uh, not performing to everyone's expectations because they probably aren't doing the proper dents around troubleshooting and, and understanding the system as a whole. Uh, it's, it's hard to operate right now because everyone's fighting fires and they don't have the time to do some of the, the troubleshooting, right? And, and if that effort is made to just focus on some of the troubleshooting, they'll fight fires less because it's not going to be having as many issues. Um, so I think there's a great opportunity in the industry right now as far as gas lift goes and um, plungers is the gas lift and gas is the plunger lift. There's, there's big wins there. And I, I want to thank you two for hopping on here and um, just give you a quick um, endorsement here that, uh, yeah, Kaizen is one of the only um, or is the only company in U.S. Canada to have this well tracer solution for the CO2 injection to understand, um, you know, where is their gas being um, injected? Maybe it's a hole in tubing. Maybe it's at a point that you didn't know about. So I uh, would highly recommend rec reaching out to, to Clint and Kelly here and, and talking to them about their gaslit solutions. They've got some great opportunities for you. And, I want to thank the two of them for coming on and, and talking to us about 
um, a real industry problem right now is uh, how to optimize and troubleshoot our gas lift and plunger lift, plunger lift gas lift wells. So thank you two for hopping on. Really appreciate it. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for having me. Of course. Yeah, as always, yeah. I enjoy it. Always, always we'll have another one here. So. I guarantee you we're going to have a follow-up on gas lift plunger lift. So uh, appreciate the time here, guys. Yeah, well, there's the... I mean, we barely know, scratched the surface. So I'm sure everyone has so, so, so many ways to go. I know. Yeah. Um, we, we could fall down the rabbit hole real fast and, and uh, talk about one subject and where everybody... Yeah, well, uh, yeah I, I, and and I will like I, like I say, uh, there's a lot of great information from a lot of you know real giants of gas lift. I mean, uh, you know these are the these these are the guys that uh, they worked it out, they figured it out. Uh, a lot of those uh, the, you know these guys are are out there. They they have published information, and they're uh, uh, without fail any of any of them that I've I've ever encountered or, or spoke with are uh, very willing to to share uh what they've learned and they are so uh for anybody looking for information there's great resources out there whether it be published or or just some of the experts that you know are around well, let's get those resources um, take advantage of them. them i'll ask you for some follow-up links on who those are and, and uh the, the listeners here can can jump on those but um yeah i want to thank the brothers the mason brothers here uh for hopping on and uh you'll be hearing from them soon guys we'll talk soon all right